Welcome to Get a Grip with Shane Bacon, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Get a Grip podcast. I'm Shane Bacon. Got a very fun one for you on this Friday. It is U.S. Women's Open Week. It's Pebble Beach Week. And so had DJ Pajowski of No Laying Up fame jump on the podcast to chat, not just about the U.S. Women's Open and the importance of Pebble Beach, but also about Strapped, one of the best pieces of content on the entire internet, in my opinion. And Strapped is back. Make sure you're watching that on the No Laying Up YouTube page. Links will be in the notes for everything we've chatted about. So make sure you give that a look after you get done with the podcast. And I mentioned the U.S. Women's Open. Well, the logo company that me and Kate Smith run, Ground Under Repair, designed a couple T-shirts for the U.S. Women's Open along with the USGA. We did it with our friends at Imperial. If you go to imperialsports.com and just kind of follow the links to the U.S. Women's Open merch that's right there on the front of the page, you can check out. We have a couple of different options, and I think they turned out great, and I think it's a great thing to have if you're a golf fan and you're a fan of this week and you want to promote what I think is going to be one of the more important major championships of the last couple of decades this week at Pebble Beach. So imperialsports.com and follow the link to the U.S. Women's Open merchandise, and you'll see our GUR logo design T-shirts right there. Uh, that's enough for me. We, uh, we had a long and lengthy and exciting conversation with one of my favorite people in the sport, so let's get to DJ Pi. That is DJ Pajowski from No Laying Up fame. Uh, DJ, you're not normally, I guess, these days at least, not on that side of the mic. I feel like you've been doing a little more hosting as of late. Uh, how do you how do you enjoy the hosting when Solly's away and the kids are playing? It's good, you know. Uh, it's it's always, um, you know, Neil likes playing that role too. I I feel like, you know, we've got a lot of point guards on the team. We're we're blessed with a lot of uh, a lot of shooters, right? A lot of people who can move the ball around exactly and, like. and post up and shoot. That's exactly right. We're playing a fast, fast offense, just keeping it moving. Uh, looking to put up about 130 points every night, and uh, you know, it doesn't really matter who's uh, who's doing what position. Hopefully, is is kind of what we're what we're aiming for, anyways. Yeah, it's Thursday of U.S. Women's Open Week. I want to get to Pebble Beach in a bit, but uh, a big week, a big, I guess, week and a half in your life. Um, I guess your baby, if we'll call it that. I mean, I know you've been a, a big part of so many things at No Laying Up over the what has it been six, six seven years? What, what are we talking yeah, now? Twenty, God, I don't. Twenty seventeen, August of twenty seventeen wow. when I when I joined. I remember going to the the Bridgestone uh, <laughs> at at uh, Akron. Uh, that was my last week at the PJ tour and then joined uh, NLU after that. So whatever that's been, God, I fuck three, six years, I guess. Crazy. I mean, but I mean, strap, the idea of strapped is something you've had in your mind for a long time. I mean, I know that this was something that you'd had on your mind when you were working at the PGA tour. When did the concept kind of either come to you or did you think of it, or you just had an idea of let's send some golfers out to an area of the world. That's not pebble. And it's not Pinehurst and give them a budget and see how they fare. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think there was like a, you know, certainly didn't have it baked in my mind as far as what it is now with with Neil and Randy doing, you know, 98% of the heavy lifting of uh, of what the show has become. But I, I always thought it was cool, you know, to to really shine a light somehow on this other part of golf. And I've, I've said this a bunch on our podcast, but I think a realization that I had uh, while I was working at the PJ Tour was, you know, this this difference between that there's there's golf and there's professional golf. And the two things are very, very, very different. And especially uh, now in the year of our Lord, 2023, <laughs> perhaps they've never been more different. Uh, but I, I think having that light switch go off for me and just, you know, kind of realizing like, man, I, I love golf. I think I love pro golf, maybe just a little bit less. So I, I wish there was a little bit more of a spotlight shown on kind of, you know, the golf aspect of things and how people, you know, tend to interact with the game. And and a lot of that is, you know, people take buddies trips and they go to these bucket list places. And we have certainly done our more than our fair share of, of that type of content as well. But I, I mean, I think that's what makes sense for the, the golf channel to show and makes sense for a lot of the other media outlets to really cover. Whereas, you know, for us, it was like, man, I'm excited about a ton of things in the game. And a lot of it is, you know, I get just as excited going out and playing, you know, $30 Muni in Peoria, Illinois, as I do going and playing Tobacco Road or Pinehurst number two or Bandon Dunes or any of these places. And so 
it was just kind of all about finding a mechanism to actually show those things off. And that's where uh, Randy and I, when we were both living in Jacksonville Beach, I think, you know, we're trying to put our heads together as far as what what this could be. And uh, we had done a show, a show, we had done a, a one video from the PGA Championship in 17 at Quail Hollow, uh, which was kind of like this weird nebulous, like, turner deal where shane i'm sure you've had these as well where it's like yeah yeah, just kind of like come out and make content right and nobody ever really like defines what it means or like what you can do and what you can't do it's a weird business and then you show up and it's kind of like oh you can't like show any competition so just like make other content we're like what the fuck does that mean so it it just turned into me and neil uh and randy walking around with the camera and we made this video that we we called golf adjacent and we realized that like how good the chemistry was between those two and how funny it was to just watch those guys walk around the TV compound and interview fans and do all of these things. And I think it, you know, we had so much fun doing it that, you know, kind of hit us, Randy and I, you know, at first and Neil was still living in New York at the time. And uh, we're like, what if we went and did that same idea, you know, your local Muni and, you know, who knows what that, who knows what that'll look like, but it's not going to cost us very much money to go do it. So maybe we'll uh, record it and never post it, but uh, let's at least go give it a shot. How long into your time with no laying up, did you feel comfortable pitching stuff like that? Because I mean, you're coming into an established group of people and these are guys you were friends with. I mean, you lived in an area near a couple of them already, but you go into their space, you're going into their world and you're the new guy. Now, I mean, you have a lot of set of skills that were obviously very important to what they were doing. When did you start to feel comfortable? Like, Hey guys, we're going to do this. And here's the budget, or at least here's what I'm thinking. I don't know if, if there was a budget at the time, but when did you start to feel comfortable where you could actually pitch something like strapped or Stanford golf and, uh, and not feel like you're the new guy, just throwing ideas against the wall. It's funny. It was almost the opposite because I <laughs> was, was pitching so hard on like, please hire me because you know, I'm going to come up with all these great ideas that it was like, Oh God, I have to just throw as much stuff against the wall as possible. Just to justify <laughs> Here's 50 ideas. Yeah. Just to justify my existence here. So it was, it was much less like, you know, wait to be told what to do and much more like, Oh God, please. Like, hopefully this works. Hopefully this works. Hopefully this works. And just kind of trying to throw as much against the wall as we, we could. And it was great, man. We, we traveled a ton and got a bunch of good kind of, you know, experience and we kind of saw some things that worked and some things that didn't work and uh, hopefully refined it a little bit to, to where we're at now. And uh, I, I think that like, I don't know, that's a, kind of a weird, I don't even think skill set is the word, maybe just like malfunction where it's like kind of like act first and think later a little bit. And I think we all, the five of us kind of like share that, that gene a little bit. And that's a little bit of the secret sauce that I think has helped pour gas on the, in the engine gas on the fire gas in the engine whatever the metaphor would be there both would work unless you have a tesla i'm wearing my <laughs> yeah. arizona hat by the way for you because oh, thank you grab spring train and stuff going on episode two just dropped this week great obviously go watch it if you haven't already if you're listening to this podcast you probably watched trap to this point but if not get involved i uh my uncle a longtime dobson ranch golfer lives in dobson ranch i sent him uh, episode one last night and uh he called me today and said he very much enjoyed it so oh great um, you awesome. now have a 70 uh 71 year old that's a strap fan can you go back and watch the first straps because oh, i yeah. like i have a hard time watching early TV oh no stuff can i, I physically oh yeah, no, like, no no like, no absolutely like, not that's what i was wondering about no 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 it's, definitely i mean not. you like strapped is beautiful dj i mean what you do in terms of the editing process it's so well done i was at your house uh, maybe a month month and a half ago and you showed me the trailer that you guys put out on social that was kind of the nod to whatever the Fred McGriff video that was back in the day. It's wonderfully done. Very professional looking. You do not want to go back and watch ep- like season one of Strapped? I, I, the, the most I'll do is like go looking for like old clips that might work as highlights like in <laughs> – current episodes right like if i if i know there's like a you know neil misses one kind of like low skanky to the right it's like oh that looks like the shot from number 15 at vinker golf course in ames iowa like we i should go pull that clip right but uh no don't ever really like go sit down and just like let me let me watch some of this it's it it's funny we uh shane ryan mutual buddy of ours uh wrote a piece for golf digest all about strapped which was very very nice and the only time that like I've, I've kind of been tempted to do that. It was like some of the scenes he was describing and asking us about were like scenes that I just haven't thought about in it's like, since we pushed the right. episodes out basically. And 
some of them were just like the interplay between Neil and Randy is just just kills me, man. Like some of the the really really small stupid jokes that for whatever reason I left in, uh, just really really make me laugh. Like uh, Neil comparing Randy's golf game to George W. Bush's painting was one that that <laughs> springs to mind. Where it's like you know it's not that good, but like it's better than you'd think it was it would be, you know. And Neil like thinking that he's offering this like incredibly insightful kind comment, and Randy just feeling like he's you know, getting the worst backhanded compliment of all time. Uh, I went back and watched that scene just because I love watching the interplay between between those two. It just makes me laugh so hard. Yeah, I still, if I message Neil ever, it's about what's the band fits in the fits in the bangas. What's uh, the tank in the bangas? Tank tank in the bangas. I, I yeah. still will message him if it pops up on XM Radio <laughs> or if like I see them coming to my area just because of that interaction from Louisiana. I mean, those little moments are why I think the series is incredibly successful because, you know, you can have great actors. They can have no chemistry. You can have very good actors. And if they have awesome chemistry, you're going to make a great movie. You're going to make a great TV show. And um, on the back of what you're able to do, and obviously with those two guys and their ability to just make sense on, on TV and on the screen, it really plays. How did the idea of kind of changing up a little bit and including some more outside golf stuff as what we're kind of seeing this? Because it feels a little bit off the, off the heels of tourist sauce, you know, where you guys went to what Norway and it was not always about the golf. It feels like y'all are a little bit more comfortable in that world kind of expanding outside of just here's how we play golf day to day. Yeah, I think the the way that we try to think about it, and it's the same really with like a lot of the content that we make. It's not just limited to strapped, although the levers are a little different is we think about like these different levers that you can kind of pull each time you have a video and there might be a comedy lever. There might be a earnestness lever. There might be a golf course architecture lever. There might be an off course lever. There might be a food lever. There might be, you know what I mean? There's all these like different kind of levers you can pull and i think it's just kind of all about like figuring out what the combination of levers is for the situation right because i think if we i think we tried at first with some of the strap stuff to like oh we're gonna you know we're big on this golf course architecture kick and we're learning right. about all this stuff about golf course architecture and we're, you know we're gonna like you know we're gonna look up who the architect was of this muni and you know St. Francisville, Louisiana, like we're, we're going to do all this stuff. And you kind of get to a point where like, no offense to anything, uh, any of the strap places that we've ever been, but like some of the golf courses are really, really, really great. Some are not, some are just like, you know, architecturally speaking anyways, we've had a great time at all of them, but some of them you're like, yeah, maybe I don't need to, you know, come in here and, and do like a Rand Morissette, uh, impersonation, at you know newman golf course in peoria the the six thousand yard course that like weaves in between the apartment buildings like maybe it's just a fucking golf course and like that's okay so like let's figure out like what another lever is that we can pull on this day so maybe it's you know the interplay between neil and randy or maybe it's the competition and the birdies and bogeys of what happens on the golf course or maybe it's some other thing right like maybe we're playing with somebody from peoria who's really interesting uh, and you know, we want to kind of give them more of the spotlight. So it's, it's kind of trying to figure out that calculus and just making sure that each episode feels a little different. Otherwise, you know, I, I think we could feel pretty early on that it was going to start to be like, I really liked the sixth hole because it gave you options in this way. And, but and it's like, ah, I don't think look that's at the angles here. Yeah. I don't think anyway, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's why anybody's watching the show. Well, I mean, so I would say arguably the best episode in strapped history was the conclusion of Myrtle beach. I mean, I think just what was happening and the money and, you know, I mean, the way it was cut DJ, I don't know if I've ever told you, but literally it felt like you're watching like a famous director's cut with <laughs> the music and the speed and the pacing of it was so sensational. It was perfectly done. Then you've got to go to another se season, right? What were the conversations like internally? Cause I know we captured it. And episode one, in terms of you guys all talking to Neil and Randy about how strapped was going to be going forward. What were the conversations like in the background of how strapped would continue once those guys were like, you know what, man, fuck the budget. We're going to go blow it out. I, I think we were all pretty comfortable. I don't think we had like signed this in pen. Right. But like, I think mentally we were all very comfortable with like that. Probably there, we probably weren't going to do another one. Like okay. we kind of feel it like as it was going on, it's just like, Oh, let's blow it out today. And like, maybe that's the end. That's it. Right. And like, that feels like a very natural end and there's 10 seasons, you know, we, we went to a lot of places. We, you know, I feel like there's a kind of natural arc to the, uh, 
the story from the first season to the last season. Uh, Neil's getting married. The kid is going away. You know, all of these things that were like, oh, maybe that's maybe that's the end. Right. And we don't want to, you know, we say this all the time is like you hope to always, you know, leave the stage too early rather than stay on the stage too long. Right. And like we didn't want it to turn into you know, playing the hits and, oh, here comes the Icarito music again. And here comes, oh, Neil changes facial hair again. And, oh, here's where, you know, oh, lunch got away from us. You know, we don't want to like just keep doing like the same hits over and over and over. Uh, and, you know, so I think we were all pretty comfortable with like, okay, if that's the end and we don't feel like doing another one, then like I can totally live with that. And I feel like we made a really fun thing and we'll go figure out some other way to to spend our time. And so we took like a year to kind of, you know, get away from it and, put those episodes out and people seem to really like them. And uh, I think we, again, we were all just kind of comfortable with like that being the end. And then uh, it's funny, man, the, the piece that we did with Shane uh, really like, I think it just dredged up a lot of like old, really fun memories and the way like he just wrote really beautifully about it in a very, very kind way. And I think it kind of just unlocked for all of us, like, you know what, man, like, let's not overthink this. Like we all really, really love doing this and we love being together. It's a great excuse for like the three of us to get together in fun locations. And it's a great excuse to get other people involved. Uh, you know, you see that a lot in, in spring training seasons. One of my good buddies, uh, Dom Catronio's in the first episode. Uh, Randy got to meet Chris Welsh, the, the Reds play-by-play broadcaster. He's been listening to for 30 years. Uh, in episode three, we meet uh, a hero of mine, Jason Benetti, nice. uh, you know, uh, know, play-by-play colleague of, of yours and, uh, you know, play-by-play guy for the Chicago White Sox. And so it was just kind of like, man, I think we have this, we've got this pretty great mechanism here to just facilitate like a lot of really fun times and the details might change, right? Like the budget might change here and there. And some of the day-to-day stuff might change a little bit. Uh, but I think like at its core, you know, it's kind of just about the interplay between Neil and Randy and it's about going to show off, you know, cool. It's basically about going to show off like people's hometowns and having a good time doing it. And so I feel pretty confident we can keep that core going. And, you know, as long as we're having a good time, we'll, we'll keep doing it. And if it ever gets to a point where it doesn't make sense to keep going, then we won't keep going hopefully. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the thought. We see two people on camera. We obviously know you're behind the camera. How many people are involved in Strapped, both in terms of shooting it, you know, when you guys are on location and then editing it on the back end? <laughs> uh, not a lot. That's what, uh... that's, what I, that's what I figured. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's just the three of us that go on the trips. Okay. Um, nobody else Nobody else with the camera in hand. Nobody else with the camera in hand. Um, no, just just your boy uh and then when we get into the edits obviously my wife helps justine uh helps with a lot of the music selections that's a really like it doesn't seem like a daunting part of things but to make you know whatever we've made like 33 of these now and you try not to use repeat music and there's only so many (laughs) kind of like stock music type things that you can really track down that that really you know, capture the vibe. It's not like we're hiring like composers to do custom music for this stuff. You're kind of just like finding stuff on stock music sites and then picking your spots where you want to use like some, some needle drops and some kind of like well-known copyrighted music. Um, so she helps a lot with that. And then obviously the whole rest of the team weighs in on weighs in on cuts and, you know, here's the rough cut of episode one. Here's the rough cut of episode two. Although I think it's, it's funny with strapped, there's a lot less feedback during the process because I think everybody kind of likes the um, like the electricity of watching it live with everybody else for the first time, uh, it, which was kind of what made the Myrtle Beach season so much fun was like Solly and Tron had never seen that those episodes like that last episode where they blow out the budget. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, Solly and Tron had never seen that until it was literally like debuting. And th- so just like having that feeling I think was, was, uh, really exciting for them and not really knowing what's coming. So, but you know, obviously behind the scenes, like production wise, everybody will, will weigh in. And if I need help with graphics or if I need help with music or if I need help with whatever, everybody's kind of down to, down to help out. When you meet people, 
how often or how many questions or talks like sentences into it is did you get pitched their town for strapped is this like <laughs> the second thing they say to you third thing like are you getting dms i mean i can only because you you did a contest right didn't you guys do a a charity so we contest did, during covid we did uh a fundraiser and basically we had something going on with the jack's beach golf association it was like the junior golf uh kind of foundation at the jack's beach golf course where where we were all living at the time and their junior program was kind of going to go away and so we needed to uh we're trying to help raise some money for that to keep that going and so we we did this fundraiser that was like you know whatever town raises the most money uh that's where we'll do the next strap and the people of peoria just absolutely that's right grassroots showed out <laughs> i think they ended up i'm trying to remember how much they donated i think we ended up raising as a group like 20 some thousand dollars maybe more than that and um peoria was like the lion's share of it they had all these people kind of donating to come show off these munis which obviously turned out it was great news for me that's where i went to college that's where (laughs) i met my wife that's where we got married uh so i absolutely love peoria uh and so it was really fun to have some friendlies to go to go show off there but yeah many 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 pitches i'm sorry we haven't gotten to them all yet but uh we're working on it uh it's it's cool man i mean that's kind of like the you know, obviously we're not gonna we're not gonna get to all of them, maybe. But it's uh, the idea that people would pitch you on their town is kind of like the ultimate compliment. So that's I, I keep them coming. I know we're chatting, obviously not in the same state, but um, you mentioned Jacksonville a few times. No laying up was very central in Jacksonville, and there's still plenty of no laying up content coming out of Jacks. But how's it been since everyone has kind of started to move away? I mean, Randy was the first. You've moved away. Neil's not living in Jacksonville. I don't believe anymore. Is it just Solly and Tron? Is that all that's left? That's right. Yeah. Just those two. How um, is it? How, how is it? How is it going from everybody being re- relatively centralized and be able to meet in the kill house to now doing, you know, most of your stuff on something like this? It's, it's awesome, man. I mean, it's, uh, it's a bummer obviously to not play golf, like just for fun as right. much with those guys. And <laughs> it's a golf. bummer not to be able to like go over to their house for dinner and, you know, see their kids and all, all that stuff is is a bummer, but, uh, from a work perspective, I, I think there's actually a lot of positives where, you know, even when we were in Jacksonville, it's not like we really had an office that everybody was going to. Right. So like when you're, when you're all in the same town, I think there's almost like a fallacy of, you know, Oh, we're probably communicating all the time. We're in the yeah, same you town. You guys are hanging out every night. Right. Yeah, right. And that, that obviously is not the case. And so when everybody actually is physically in a different location, it almost kind of makes you more buttoned up Okay. Logistically, communications wise, I mean, we have more people on our team that are all remote. KVV's in Baltimore, Casey's in Philly, Cody's in Texas, Ben's in Kansas City, uh, Matt Golden, we have has worked with us for a long time. He's in Georgia. Jordan Perez is in in Jacksonville. So it's everybody's kind of all over the place. And uh it kind of makes it a lot easier to to maybe you know, make like the Monday meeting is sacred. Taking meeting notes has to be a lot more sacred. Just everything has to be a little bit more organized when, when everybody, uh, you know, is in different places, which is, you know, who's, who's too organized, right? It's, it's, uh, that's always a good thing to have. And then the other thing from a content standpoint, I mean, so much of what we do is kind of like built around the excitement of being in a place together. And in a weird way, there's almost like, there's like a scarcity of that uh, when you're not living in the same place, obviously. Right. Like when we show up to do strapped, it's not like we're faking, like, Holy shit. I haven't seen Randy in a month and a half. Oh my God. I haven't seen Neil forever. I can't wait to go do this. You know? Yeah. I I felt that watching the first episode. I mean, it, you could sense that. And I'm, I, I thought it was probably a little bit of the, of the gap. Yeah. Considering it'd been a long time since you guys have done a strapped episode, but I, I felt that true excitement. I mean, you're at sky Harbor and you guys are picking up Neil. I mean, it, it was like, you could you could sense it from you guys, and you could really feel the excitement out of the camera. So uh, I knew that was that was relatively genuine, and I can only imagine there's a part of that from not seeing each other, but maybe three or four times a year. No, exactly, and it's it stretches to the whole rest of the team too, right? Like when we do tourist sauce in Scandinavia, I mean it's the same thing. It's like you're all <laughs> getting on a plane to go to this incredibly foreign destination to all of you, and you're kind of all meeting there and. You know, you kind of get there on your first day and you're like, huh, it, it worked. We all made it. This is incredible. <laughs> Nobody's delayed. This yeah. And great. it's it's uh it's really fun from that perspective. So it's you know, pros and cons, but there's a lot of uh a lot of pros. And I, I think the other thing too that I would mention is like 
I just think from a like perspective, um, perspective, perspective, I guess, uh, it's just good to be in different spots too. Right. I mean, it's, it's great when we're not all playing the same home golf course. It's great when we're all, you know, there's so much good golf up here in Milwaukee where I live. It's been really fun to just go out and explore that and send pictures to those guys. And Hey, this is where I'm playing this week. And, Oh man, I just saw this place. Did you guys ever hear about this? And Cody's doing the same thing in Texas and Casey's doing the same thing in Philly. And it just, it makes it a little more, you know, comprehensive to feel like you you've got kind of scouts all over the place looking at at stuff and bringing bringing different stuff to the table. DJ, you could walk to a little pitch and putt golf course, your new home. Um, how much did that play into landing on that property? Was it was it at least a five percent reason you, yeah, you decided that, on it? That's kind of the number that was in my head. Uh, looking at Google Maps, it was just kind of a. <laughs> I think we looked at that a lot more that's than we close. looked at like the the inspection report. Uh, yeah, that's the foundation. It's okay. Slight yeah, it's crack. Fine. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, it's it's great, man. There's so much. It, it's funny. I I, man, I told you the story when when you were at the house, but we're you know we we're kind of like buying a house in Milwaukee for the first time not living there yet. We're kind of doing this all remotely, like from Jacksonville. And so we found this realtor who was amazing. It's just a super friendly, very earnest, very awesome guy. And, uh, we're talking about it and, you know, it turns out he was a big golfer. And so he and I started talking about golf and he's talking about like where he plays. He's like, Oh, there's, you know, there's this Muni I go to, I go to this Muni. I play here all the time. You got to check this place out. This place is great. And he just lists off like 15 courses. I'm like, man, that's, that's amazing. Like there's so many parts of the country where like all these kind of lower, like lower price point golf courses are just disappearing. And like these municipal golf courses are disappearing and they're being turned into houses or shopping or retirement homes or whatever. And he was just dumbfounded by this idea. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, man, this is, this is pretty rare that there's just like a ton of great golf courses for like a very low price he's like huh yeah i don't know i guess i've just never thought about it because like it's it's just <laughs> in such great shape here you can just go play kind of anywhere wherever you want i was like all right i think i'm probably gonna really like it here then this is the spot for me yeah. um well transitioning from big randy and the good of big randy to potentially um <laughs> the not so good of big randy i want to sure. transition to pebble beach for a bit uh where did you have the u.s women's open at pebble beach ranked on your list of tournaments you were most excited about in 23 really 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 high uh neck and neck i would say with the u.s open at at lacc um i was i've been so pumped about that one for a while and you know there were pros and cons to that one that have been uh you know certainly been been picked over and uh and and you know disseminated already but uh this is the one that like I'm not going to break any news here. There's, there's nothing new that I'm going to say. Right. I mean, it's Mike Juan, I think said it, said it great in our media day video, which is like, you know, hopefully we're getting to a point where there's, there's less of a distinction between a U.S. open golf course and the U S women's open golf course. And they're kind of just U S open golf courses and Pebble beach is the quintessential example of that. I think it's a place that it is kind of a catastrophe that we haven't had a U.S. Women's Open there yet. Right. And, you know, KVV wrote about this. A lot of other people have wrote about this. But just this idea that, you know, you can sit here and rattle off 15 iconic men's professional golf moments that happened at Pebble Beach and they just flash into your mind immediately. And uh, the fact that, you know, we hopefully are are taking our first step towards doing the same thing with the women's game is just kind of all you need to all you need to say about the week right i mean it, it, i just cannot wait to to watch coverage the the waking up in the morning I, i'm sure you feel the same way but and frankly it, it really only happens at majors these days i mean i don't know how often it happened prior to majors before all that's happened over the last few years in golf but to me it happens major championship golf and you know i mean a lot of the time i'm, I'm working them and it's a job but i still have that feeling right it's that it's that sense of waking up and being really fired up i think uh it was, it was keegan bradley was on part of my take the other day and i was listening to the interview and he said you know, when I'm playing golf with my buddies at home, I still have that feeling in my stomach the night before about being excited to play golf. And I still feel that at 39 years old, yeah. when a golf tournament I know matters or the Ryder Cup is coming. I mean, even the President's Cup, Solheim Cup, you know, Walker Cup, Curtis Cup, like those things that really, really matter. I would say last night into this morning was the most excited I've been in terms of that feeling going to a U.S. Open at Pebble. And I know you mentioned it be taking a long time for us to get here, 
but it is worth celebrating that we're finally here because this is the first step in, like you said, this lineage. I mean, whoever wins this, I wrote a little bit of that about this in the newsletter for Friday for the fried egg, but whoever wins this thing is going to be an enormous part of U.S. women's open history, an enormous part of Pebble Beach history. And that's what matters in terms of venue is, sure, you win a U.S. Open, you're a U.S. Open champion, and that's great. But there's lore that comes with these golf courses, and you said it. You close your eyes, and you can see some of the shots we're going to talk about in a bit. You know, you can see it in your mind, and that's going to be a part of this week. And I think that's what makes the venue so important when people talk about the golf courses. All of a sudden, now you're talking about two sets of history, not just one. A hundred percent. I mean, it's it's the same with like the old course, right? And and it's a different different level, and you can pick your favorites. And you know, there's a global a global kind of perspective versus a U.S. perspective. But like when you you, you know, it's it's funny. Like before 2015, when you say the name Zach Johnson, it's like oh, the Masters, right? right. You know, he laid right. up on all the par fives and blah blah blah. And now when you say Zach Johnson, it's like tough. oh, guy, what guy wanted the old course, man? You know, Louis Oosthuizen. What's the first thing that pops in your mind? Ah, guy wanted the old course, and I feel like. Pebble Beach is kind of the same way, right? And and now in a women's game that like I think really really struggles for context. I thought the the gang uh did a really good job on the NLU pod this week talking about kind of the lack of context in the women's game. So whether that is because Totally of, agree. Whether that's because of the TV product and the resources they have to invest in the TV product, whether that's because of, you know, the lack of shot link, whether that's because of the lack of media coverage, whether it's lack of, you know, really a number of different things any american stars i think honestly if you know that's that's kind of a an ugly american way to to view it but i think it it plays into certainly how i uh follow the game but there's kind of a lack of context in like you know it's it's always like man last five or six holes like turn on the women's golf i'm i'm excited to see who wins but getting to that point is tough right it's it's a different it's a different feeling earlier in the week just because I have less context about, you know, who's really going to play well and who's not going to play well and whose style of play is going to fit this golf course and all of those things. It's just, it's a lot harder to, to get there as a golf fan and Pebble beach is now kind of, again, it's like the first step towards hopefully building some of that context. Whoever wins this week will immediately have that attached to their name forever, right? It might be Rose Zhang. She, oh yeah, Pebble beach. She's the one that won. And and that's really really cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I I mentioned something I wrote for the Friday newsletter on on Friday, and I talked about the old course because I do think the similarities are, are they make the most sense when you talk about the old course on the men's side, and you talk about this week with Pebble Beach, and kind of going back to the Open last year, I felt I felt like there's been a lot of similarities to this U.S. Open to that Open Championship last year, and if it's Rose, it doesn't look like it's could have been Jin Young Ko or maybe even Nelly. I know they're struggling on Thursday, but the hope of some player having success, the Michelle Wee West story going in like we had Tiger last year. You know, there's so many similarities. And then who who is going to get it done? And who is going to make the birdies late? And can Rory finally win one, right? I mean, all that plays in. And even just the golf shots. And again, we're going to get to our favorite, most important shots at Pebble in a moment. But the amateur, the Irish amateur that was co-leading for a bit on Thursday, hold out on 15. You know, you immediately think of Tiger yeah. Woods in 2000. Like, that's why the courses are so cool. And Pebble, unlike an Oakmont or a Wingfoot or a Baltus Roller, places like that, we do see it every year. Right. And I think there are times we can get fatigued by that. But because of the Pro-Am, we know the golf course, and I know Andy's been harping on this a lot, we know the golf course as much as any golf course in the world. Pebble, Augusta, and I think his third is TPC Sawgrass. Those are the three golf courses. You really know all the holes. And so for this week, when somebody's on four or they're on eight, I'm not going to mention five, when they're on four, when they're on eight, when they're on 12, like, you know, the golf shots, you know, where not to hit it on 11, even if you've never been on the property. And that is a very unique thing to golf courses. I think we, I think we, as golf fans think we know more about courses than we really do. Okay. And I think the list is a lot shorter on one through 18, the knowledge that we actually have of the places we're going to. I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, I think like we haven't mentioned it yet, but like the, the best comp is the Anwa, right? And yes, and having having Roseanne have her meltdown on 13. It's like, man, I, yeah, buddy, know I, know, I know exactly what that means. Right. <laughs> I know exactly what that means. And that's that's what's so cool about, you know, whoever whoever wins this week, like very good chance they'll birdie 18 at Pebble right. Beach. It's like, man, know exactly what that means. Very good chance. They're going to have to hold on on 17 and hit a, hit a long iron 
into 17. Know what that means. Know where, know where a good spot to chip in from there is. You know, it's it's just all these all these things that uh, we've just seen so many times. Hopefully, kind of run through a new run through a new lens. Like the way I keep, I, I was putting it. You know, writing some stuff for the website that, or, or kind of like producing some stories at KVV Road is like, it's kind of like the best stage that we have in certainly American public golf. And now there's like a completely new active like cast of actors. Right. It's like this theater, you know, it's this movie screen, you know, it's whatever, but you get to watch it with like completely different players now. And it's just a really cool thought. What What's the music venue that this is a comp to? I know you're a big music guy. Is there one that stands out? Man, that's a good question. Um, probably be, I mean, honestly, from like a concert perspective, it might be like a Madison Square Garden or something, right? Like big. Okay big big shows you know they're they're famous for putting on giant tours they're famous for kind of being the pinnacle of a lot of those tours it's uh it's not some mom and pop rinky dink operation you know would love to say the tabernacle in atlanta or something like that. it's not that it's it's big 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 uh events only and uh if if you want to go buy a ticket you can go buy a ticket but it's uh you know it's it's going to be an event if you're if you're going to go there yeah, I, I I was uh I remember Lewis Black had a Carnegie Hall album he put out sure. live and uh he was talking I think at the end of the show he said, you know, like this is the stage. Like Carnegie Hall is where I've always wanted to perform and I think he made a joke about where he was performing the next week. It was like somewhere in <laughs> Iowa or something, but you know, he's like this is where I always wanted to play and that always stuck in my brain because you hear some of the players this week talk about it and I know you spent a little bit of time with Michelle when you guys were shooting that thing with Randy, what was Michelle saying both on camera and off camera about Pebble beach? Because so many of these players either hadn't played it or hadn't seen it before. So I was not there. I was not oh, there. I thought you were shooting. there. No, no, no. Sorry. Uh, that was Ben, uh, Ben hoteling from, our I just always assume that. you're there. Uh, thank you. That's, that's, you know, that's, <laughs> that's the hope, right? That's how it should go. feel. That's great. Uh, no, but well, from what they relayed, I mean, it's, it's wild that Michelle, Went to Stanford. How has she never the, played? Lives it? in the Bay Area, right? And has just never been out there because I think that's like the perfect example of, dude. It's it's just a complete guest factory, right? Yeah, I know. You're right. Just like people going through the lodge. T sheet is full all day, every day, forever, and never stops. Which is a whole other element of this. Tron touched on that <laughs> on our preview pod, but like, just the idea of shutting down Pebble Beach for two weeks or three weeks or however long they have to shut it down for this women's open has to be just astronomically expensive for the USGA. And I, I think they're pretty open about, you know, the fact that they don't make money on the U S women's open. And it's basically like a loss leader and kind of comes out of the coffers of the men's open. And so it, it's very obvious that like, they don't have to go to Pebble beach, many other go golf courses that they can host it at. That would be better for their bottom line and better for a lot of reasons, you know, that, that, they would be much smarter to get into, uh, but they're choosing to do it. And they're choosing to go to a bunch of other great, great venues, which I know, again, other people have touched on, but the fact that she hasn't, Michelle hadn't played here. Nellie Corda hadn't played here. You know, all these kind of stories of, I don't think Jinyan Co had, had played here, um, you know, getting through the, the media days, the first couple of days and just hearing that from player after player after player. Um, I mean, good on the, the organizers of the college event that, that they have there now. And right. now Rose has played there and, you know, famously shot 63. Uh, but you know, so hopefully there's kind of a generation of players coming up, but even that I'm sure is like a very regional, you know, whether it's like a PAC 12 tournament or, or whatever, but, um, crazy, man, it's crazy. Awesome to be here. I ask you to list your five most important shots in Pebble Beach history as DJ goes to the phone. Are you a are you a notes app guy? What do you, what do you, where do you write Huge. stuff down? Huge. Are Huge you are you organized guy. on notes? See, I'm so bad about it. I just I write them and then they're just in like it's just listed. I don't yeah. put them in any sort of a is there you put them in like folders and stuff, right? Yeah, I don't do that. Uh I probably should. There's I have like I don't know, probably got it. Does it tell you? Uh, I think it might. I have, I have 404 two, notes. God, I have 227. So you have which I only mine. use like I only use like three of them though. Like I have a list of uh, <laughs> all the birdies that I've made this year because I have a like okay uh, challenge going with myself of trying to. What's uh, the number at? It's July uh, 6th. Can we? Can you tell us the number? Yeah, 
I can. It's uh, we're only at thirty six right now. Uh, thirty six birdies, and how, how many rounds do you think that is in? Uh, probably, uh, probably about thirty six. Something okay. like that. Okay, I would say I usually birdie around about gotcha. one round. Um, but anyways, we're try- trying to. This is a trap draw thing, but we're trying to hit a uh, hundred movies, a hundred new albums I've never listened to, a hundred. Uh, birdies and hundred workouts for, for 2023. So I I'm keeping track of those things in the, in the notes app. But other than that, it's just kind of random to do list. It's like that movie memento a little bit, just trying to write down just fragments of things and then try to piece together what they mean later. Yeah. It's like the folders thing on the notes app, you know, they always are saying you use like, like 10% of your brain or whatever. I feel like I use 10% of my phone. Like yeah. I'm sure there's so much more on my iPhone can do that. I have absolutely no idea about. And uh, and I just frankly don't use it or don't just lean into write it. Write down like buy milk or like <laughs> as a note. Like I'm yeah, sure there's exactly. some reminder I could put it yeah. in there. Anyway, back to Pebble Beach. Um, so I said the five, you know, greatest, most important, most impactful shots in Pebble Beach history. DJ, I'm sure you and I have similar on this list. Yeah. So I, I will let you begin. Number five on your list is. So I almost feel like we should just get like the big three okay. out of the way. I'm, I'm, fi- I'm fine with that. Right. In like no particular order. And we can quibble about the order if you like. But I mean, gotcha. I, I got my, my number one's the Watson chip in. Yeah. 82. Okay. We, 82. We've, we've of course, got that. We've got the, the Jack one iron in 72. Yep. We've got the tiger shot around the tree in uh, 2010. I've got, I've got on, all I've got. 18. So so I don't have the one around the tree on my five. OK. Interesting. Um, the, the, I have two tiger shots. <laughs> why don't you go, why don't you go for those? Because I think what's, I think what's interesting is like, this is, you know, speaking to your, we have worse golf memories than we probably think. I I think like something like the 2000 tiger win at Pebble beach is like, like, I know it as Canon. Like I know that it happened, right. But it was also one of those wins that was like so dominant that I kind of had a hard time, like picking out a singular, moment the only other one i had on my list was like the fact that he didn't hit it in the water on 18 when stevie was like <laughs> oh secretly that's our last ball maybe the most important moment in golf yeah. history if that go if he does hit in the water e- exactly so i had that one on my list but other than that i would love to hear what you have all right so so i had i had the watson chip at number one in 82 obviously i mean you know you just talk about golf shots hit um by the way in 82 jack starts bogey par on one and two okay two was a par five at that U.S. Open, he made five birdies in a row after that. It's like, so wild. I mean, he was not, God. he wasn't even the conversation. And I remember Kepka 19 birdied four of his first yes. five and they hit it close on, on seven and missed it. But, you know, I mean, it was, I, I'd never brought it up when I was doing the U.S. Open in 19. I wish I would have, but very jack start for Brooks Kepka in 19. Uh, my number three on the list is going back to 2000. There are a couple things, DJ, you said the things we remember and don't remember. I don't remember who it was, who he was tied with, but you know, they used to, I don't think they do this as much anymore, but they used to list the leaders in alphabetical order. If you were tied, right. Right. That was how they list them. And I remember, I know it was Scott Van Pelt that was doing sports center at the time. And either tiger was tied for the lead after day one or day two. And whoever he was tied with, you know, it might've been like, it wasn't Bryony Baird, but it feels like somebody like right. that, like triplet or somebody. And he said, the one thing, yeah, yeah, the one thing Triplett said after the round was he wanted his name atop the leaderboard, you know, because he played so well through however many rounds. And I remember Van Pelt went, sorry, man, Tiger's, Tiger's tied with you. They show the leaderboard and Tiger was tied for the lead. But <laughs> the, the the shot I have is the it's not a fair fight shot yeah. from 2000 on number six. It was a seven iron from 205. Oh. DJ, you've been to Pebble. You've seen that shot from the right side out of the rough. Seven iron is insane to pull from there, much less get it on the green. That is one of the all-time I'm just better than you golf yeah. shots versus the field. God, that's oh, it's like that. That's one that again, I, like, do I remember watching that live when I no. was what twelve years old? Like, no, <laughs> I don't. But like, do I get chills now even just like thinking about like the YouTube replay? Like, yeah, I do. That's, Ab- that's absolutely. Wild. So that that was one of my Tiger ones, and then number five on my list was the hole out in the pro am in two thousand because. <laughs> Yeah. of two things one it's probably it's probably the golf shot i was i was in ninth grade in 2000 it was probably the golf shot that i tried to learn and thus used in tournament golf for the next you know four five six years more than any other shot in existence i had an instructor in shreveport louisiana his name was peter winkler 
He played college golf, by the way, with Hal Sutton. Um, he, uh, I went to him that next week and I was like, Hey, Tiger hit wedge from one Oh nine. How does he do that? Like how <laughs> this guy hits his wedge 150 yards. And I remember Peter was like, okay, you put 70% of your weight on your front foot. You never shift your weight, yada, yada, yada. And for that point forward, I remember I had a wedge shot from like 110 that I would always hit. And it was the Tiger in 2000 Pro-Am hole-out shot. So that was number five on my list. So we've got, that's four of the five that are on my list. So let's get one that, that maybe isn't, uh, you know, maybe Jack or Tom. Sure. So you said uh, in my in your initial text, I believe you said the most important shots okay. at Pebble Beach. So was this a great shot? No, it was not a great shot. But maybe one of the great like sliding doors moments as far as like a man, what if? Uh, I think I know where you're going here. I think I know where you're going. Went a little differently. And I'm, of course, talking about Dustin Johnson's yes! second shot yes! on number two during the final round of the 2010 U.S. Open. Yes. 165 yards in the middle of the fairway on number two, which was playing as a par four. Not that that matters, but 500-yard hole. It's got 165 in just nuking the ball off the tee uh and you know starts the day with a three-shot lead dominant performance looks like he's going to be the guy you know going forward like this the first guy of this next generation to just kick the goddamn door down uh middle of the fairway and just really bad block with a whatever it was eight nine iron and leaves it in this horrible horrible kind of wispy eyelash of uh one of those bunkers on uh on number two Decides to uh, try to flip the club over, yes. right? And rather yes. than like just putting the bat on the ball and and kind of pitching out left or right or taking an unplayable or anything like that, he uh, tries to flip the club over, moves it maybe six feet into some really, really, really thick greenside rough. And this is the stuff that like, again, if you're like an architecture guy, I'm I'm just as much like expand the greens you know, expand the chipping areas, get rid of all this heavy rough. Sure. I'm, I I would co-sign on all that, but I also love seeing a lob wedge go right onto the ball. I'm just a <laughs> sucker, sucker for that, which is what we saw. In the- saw it at LACC, saw it, exactly. saw it when DJ was running. Which is what we saw on, on the fourth shot. Then he hits it on the green to maybe four, three, four feet, misses that one. Just hard, hard block, like doesn't even touch the hole. Uh, misses that one, ends up making a seven, and then you know goes on and makes a mess of three, makes a mess of four, shoots eighty two, just a like ultimate man. Things are moving quickly for this guy that you know seems to be the coolest, calmest guy that we have in golf maybe these days and for the last like decade. But uh, on this day it was just like that one shot just seemed like it completely derailed him. And that's, you know, I'm sure it wasn't that simple. I'm sure he obviously was feeling some incredible, incredible nerves. Uh, but who knows, man, if he hits the center of the green, maybe he, he holds off G Mac and Gregory have Ray, uh, <laughs> and, uh, becomes a major champion much, much, much sooner rather than waiting until Oakmont and whatever that was 16. Yeah. That, uh, that, that, that's going to go down as one of the weirder majors. You know, I mean, we joke a lot about the Jimmy Walker PGA that may or may not have happened, but the, the Graham McDowell U S open win. And he, I mean, he played great. It was brutal that week in terms of conditions. And I mean, I I think over par one, it didn't it, or at least it was close to. Yeah. But it's funny too from Graham McDowell. Yeah. He, it was, it was very classy. It was very classy. He did the blazer before uh, JT got all, you know, huffy and puffy with it at the open championship. But um, I actually had him on honorable mention, the lefty chip because to me, you're you're either leading or in the hunt at a U.S. Open Championship at Pebble Beach, and you have, and for lack of a better term, I'm going to use, you have the balls to try to hit a little lefty yeah. shot on the second hole, <laughs> the second hole. Like how you, we joke about the athlete thing all the time. How much of an athlete did Dustin Johnson think he was in that moment to go? I'm just going to turn it over, man. Yeah, I think gonna, this is probably the play. I'm just going to turn this, this right over. I think this is what the numbers say, is that I should <laughs> I should pull this one out. Right before, a little bit before the, the data world jumped into yes. golf. But uh, that's so funny you brought that up, because I was thinking about that today. I went back and watched the clip. The DJ sideburns are out of control. So good. Mine are, I'm going to haircut. You can't see them because of the uh, headphones, but I'm going to haircut in, a, in like an hour. These are the most gnarly my, my sideburns have been <laughs> in years. They're not even close to 2010 Dustin Johnson no. sideburns. So exactly. that's a great yeah. rewatch, by the way, is, is that Pebble Beach U.S. Open. 
and then I, I know you had another one you were you were flirting with that that you wanted to throw into uh, the discourse. I don't know if you're going to have the balls enough to put this on your list, uh, but of course, you know, talking about my guy, uh, Pekin, oh, no. Illinois native. Uh, oh no, DA points, fourteenth hole. You want you want to are you are you putting that on your list or no? it was it was honorable mention. It was honorable mention. Hole out on fourteen. The one of if not. It, it might be the worst golf celebration of all time. I think it is. I think it's almost one of the worst golf shots of all time, like bounced in the rough <laughs> and somehow like jumped forward, goes in the hole with a wedge. It's just really jarring, jarring, like not where he was looking to land. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, listen, one of the great parts about this week, DJ, is that we're going to get an opportunity to get somebody at some point, probably on y'all's podcast, probably with the egg guys that just go, what are we doing with 14? It happens every time yeah. we have a big event at Pebble, but that shot was ridiculous. The belt buckle was more ridiculous. The celebration <laughs> was heinous. It was all of those <laughs> things wrapped into one. So the DA points hole out of 14. What was, was that like, that was like a long time ago, wasn't it? That was like, God, that might've been, was that 2010? It might've been 2010, That's, 2011. It doesn't like feel like it was 10, 11, 12 years ago. That is no. wild. Uh, and I, I guess the reason I would maybe itch for it to be on the, uh, you know, most important list is it also kind of cemented, like, of course they went on to win uh, him and his partner, Bill Murray went on to win the, uh, win the team portion, which kind of cemented that Bill Murray had to play with DA points for like the yeah. rest of the time. Which I know, is, which is it's, wild. It's crazy. You know, that back in the day when the Pebble Beach Pro-Am was the, the thing to do, the pairings for the big players was always one of my favorite parts. Remember when um, Kevin Costner and Tiger played together? It was like yeah. on the heels of 10 Cup, and that was a big thing. And then, of course, you got Romo in there with Tiger and Phil. And I think he said he was going to root against – was that like when he said he was going to root against Tiger or root against <laughs> Phil or something? That I was always right. kind of kind of awkward. But, yeah, you're right, DA and – and Bill Murray going to be partners for life. Uh, I had on my top five most important um, Christopher Myers. You remember this shot, DJ? I don't think I do. Uh, Champs event 2014. He was a junior at the time playing in the oh. pro junior division. One shot back, hits his tee shot in the ocean, hits a rock, bounces in the fairway, <laughs> and then he holds out for the double eagle to win <laughs> and the victory. Christopher Myers. Champs of it, 2014 Pebble Beach. God. This goes back. I mean, I know we're laughing, having fun, but this is why golf course matters is because I, I believe it's the only recorded double eagle in terms of like competitive tournament rounds on that hole ever. And it was to win a golf tournament. So Unreal. that's a pretty special one. I do not remember that. That's uh, well, I knew, I, that's I didn't, wild. I was I did, my researchers that's... did not go to uh, into Christopher <laughs> Myers dossier into yeah. into like first t uh champs tour crossover information yeah. no exactly we didn't we didn't quite get there but i'm glad yours did that's an unbelievable poll what a, what a story that is oh uh, who else do you have on your list uh do you have big randy at any point on yeah your list? i think if we're just talking sheer importance okay. randy's back to back uh ob hard Shanks to watch on 14 it's hard to watch uh, we're just incredible i think his uh his missed I missed a probably so famously had not made a par started on the back nine uh, of, of this film room video that we did, did not make a par on the back on the first nine, his, his back nine uh, did not make a par on the first four holes. But in fact, made just a huge mess of number four, which is, I would encourage people to go seek out uh, gets to number five. Definitely watch this. Definitely watch this episode. If you haven't, I'll drop the link in the gets notes. to number five, uh, you know, hits it up there and, and kind of lags it to maybe 18 inches, uh, maybe two feet for his first part of the day, misses it. Uh, you just see like Solly's operating a camera. I think Ben's got a camera. <laughs> they, they both just like crumple to the ground. Uh, they've just been out there for hours, just watching Randy on his way to shoot 105, just, uh, you know, really throw a dart and just hit an important golf shot from, from that round. That, that was a big one for me. Um, a couple other honorable mention ones I have. Uh, this is a little more of a serious one. The Tom Kite chip in at 92 on the seventh hole when it was blowing like sure. 50 miles an hour. Yeah. That one's up there. Uh, Can you imagine getting to that hole when it's blowing that hard, trying to like win a U.S. Open? And you're like, I don't know. I think it's it might be seven iron. What was it, it 102? Couldn't imagine seven. pulling a club. Because, you know, when you pull that much club on that short a distance, you're always fearful or long. 
which yeah. means you almost always hit it short, which right. is fine. But all you're thinking is just don't let this thing flip. Like, don't let it flip at the <laughs> bottom because we're going to be in the ocean. We're going to make six or seven. It's going to look ridiculous. And yeah, it's a good point. I'd love for it to to blow at least at one point this week hard on seven just to get a feel for what it's going to look like. I think what's so cool about seven too is like, again, I know this is, this is obvious, but just something to, to pay attention to during the telecast is like when it gets that windy, it's all a, entirely 100% about trajectory. Right. Right. Cause like, you know, not I'm poking fun at Randy and not to like equate him to any of the players that we're going to see, but like his caddy uh, fluff who, you know, has been, well, well ridiculed for this decision at the time, uh, handed Randy a six iron on that hole. All right. So it's like 107 yards or whatever. He gets handed a six iron. Randy, predictably the lowest spin player in the world, hits a six iron hard about 50 feet off the ground that just sails over the back. Anybody else hitting a six iron? What probably, the the, probably with the right, right club, right? right? Like, But it's all about like having to trust like throwing it up into the wind and letting the wind do its job and it's just such an awesome like psychological uh kind of examination on that whole i love it um also my honorable mention list was the vic hovland ice plant shot when he won the amateur in 18 yeah. uh, i don't know if you remember that but that was just wild we were watching obviously you know part of the coverage with it live and hit it a mile right i believe it was on four and he hit it to like eight feet out of the right. ice plant. I mean, have you, if you've ever walked an ice plant, it's hard to even move your feet, <laughs> much less get a club through a golf ball. I would have two from the Gary Woodland victory. The approach into 14, a lot of this is at 14. Yeah. That, that second shot into 14, you can't land it there. You can't keep it there. That was crazy. And then I've gone back to this a lot. Just having the gumption to hit the chip shot on 17 yes. was wild. So, good. so, so good. crazy to do that and to hit it where he hit it. I know Lowry earlier in the day, even hit it inside of that. But that's, I, you know, I like you, you, we joke about this a lot. It's like, okay, you're playing 17 a pebble. You're playing 18 a pebble. They're intimidating golf shots. But when you have those shots to, to potentially win a U.S. Open, I can't even imagine what that must feel like. And to look at your caddy and go, I think I'm going to chip this off the green and then pull it off is just wild to me. It shows that it's not just their game that's in a different stratosphere, but their mind and their confidence. A hundred percent. I wish I could explain how my hands like would feel at the bottom <laughs> of that chip shot. Like it's just save like, it, give, save it. Yeah, it just gives me chills even like thinking about that. I, I'm only uncomfortable other, now. Only only other one I had on my list uh, is of course just the the speed shot at eight from the cliff. Oh, I mean, you know that that's one that I, I think we have to remember. Just yes, from a it's like great call. Somebody could die because of this shot uh, at some point, you know, somebody's going to try to, it's going to be like the, the tourist that gets gored by the Buffalo at uh, Yellowstone, right? something like that. Just, Oh, take the picture, take the picture. You know, I'm, I'm dead kind of thing. Uh, I think Spieth, like <laughs> the way he talks about that shot now and just how stupid it was the way Greller talks about that shot now and how stupid it was. It's just like, truly something you don't really get in golf like ever well it's to, unbelievable to that that to, actually happened like you're marrying this crazy decision with literally the best person in the sport to <laughs> a try it and b talk about it after because you know <laughs> you're mentioning the, on live, you're talking about the comments like this was right after dj like yeah. right after it happened he goes yeah i saw the video like that was really stupid <laughs> should not have done that should not have done that can you imagine a basketball player just being like man all right he's you know fourth quarter not even fourth quarter but end of the second quarter like yeah okay he's he's decided to put his life on the line <laughs> to save a shot here you know, just to really make sure he makes his free throw. It's just, uh, it's jarring. What a yeah, it's like, it's it's John Morant jumping over eight people and landing on the <laughs> ground. But if the ground was also like a cliff, that's what it is. It's like, not a good idea. Um, yeah, no, and it's then worth it, the risk. I got to yeah, give I'm it a shot. I'm just going to try it and see. He wasn't even like, was he, did he win that week? Uh, I think he did. Is that the week he won? Okay, then, so. then maybe, maybe we'll chalk it up to not the maybe not the worst decision in golf history, sure. but in the top ten. Uh, and then I gotta actually double check that. I, I think that was the year he kind of came back and won. Okay, I, I could be wrong. And the only other one I had was Tanimal Tiger, um, 18, 2010, 273. Yeah. That was his eighth birdie of the day. That's I believe That's the most he ever had in a U.S. Open round was that shot uh, under the tree in that amateur in eighteen. I was walking. Our booth was right there between 17 and 18. So every day my walk to work, if you will, was walking down 18 at Pebble. And during one of the qualifying rounds, I was walking to the booth and this kid was under that tree and he hit the tiger shot. 
and I had my phone out because I he was, I could see him talking to his cat. I'm like, well, I need to stop and watch this because if this kid's gonna try to hit three wood, I got to see what he yeah, does. It's either gonna and go he, really good or really bad. It, there's only there's only two outcomes. Like when when Phil hit driver off the deck in 18, yeah. he hit it like four miles into the ocean, and the kid <laughs> pulled it off, and I videoed it. So I was going to work, and I'm like, well, I need to now. I got to backtrack. So I walked back all the way down. I met the kid after he got done, like shook hands. I'm like, hey, listen, dude, I videoed that on my phone. Can I send it to you? He was like, absolutely. So <laughs> he gave me his Twitter handle. I think I DM'd it to him on Twitter. But that shot is 18 at Pebble is so much harder in person than it looks like on TV. Oh, yeah. Like right comes into play in your mind. Left's obviously left. But I just don't – There's. it's the first shot I ever hit at Pebble Beach in my life. I was playing on a shotgun start. We started <laughs> on 18. Like – it is a hard ass golf hole, and I think we we watch the pros play it, and it looks so much easier. Absolutely, especially you get like get the wind up, get the tide up. You start getting those waves blowing up that bunker on the left. I mean, it's just it's like it's a crazy. moonscape, man. It's crazy. So, uh, what's your plan this week? Are you going to be jumping on live shows? Are you going to be involved with some of the coverage? What are you guys doing? So, uh, NLU as an entity will be full. Full steam, lots and lots and lots of coverage. We've got uh, KVV is out at Pebble, Tron's out at Pebble, Randy's at Pebble, Jordan's at Pebble, Cody's at Pebble, uh, doing live did guys, shows. Did you guys get it like a mansion on 18? Where, where, they, where, they got a, uh, they rented a, I, I don't know, this is Tron's, you know, logistical uh, <laughs> mind and all his, you know, all his connections, I guess. But he found like an Airbnb that's overlooking Cyprus that they're nice. all staying at. Too it's bad. just, yeah, it sounds like an awful time. Um, but they will be uh, bringing the heat. Lots of writing, uh, live shows every day. Um, it should be great. I, on the other hand, am here in Milwaukee and am about to embark on something very stupid. Uh, I'll be watching the U.S. Women's Open Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Can't wait. And then Sunday, uh, the Wisconsin State Golf Association invited me to uh, try to accomplish this feat with my buddy Stephen Watson, uh, where they're like, oh, we're trying to uh, show off the top 10 public golf courses in Wisconsin. I was like, oh, that sounds great. Cool. Like, yeah, but we're doing it in uh, in 48 hours. So you got to play 10 rounds of golf in 48 <laughs> hours. Like, do you think that's possible? Oh I was like, God. I don't know. I guess I guess we'll find out. Uh, so tooling around all over kind of the uh, all, all over the state, really. But uh, Kohler and up to, Amazing. you know, Sheboygan and up to Century World and Lawsonia and Aaron Hills. And it's it's going to be great. So, I mean, are you going to be carting? Are you walking? What's the plan? I think it's like half and half. Okay. Maybe. Uh, I think like full bag. Yeah, okay. I haven't decided yet. That's up to the up to yeah. us. Okay. Uh, but there's a couple. I mean, you know, the courses that are walking only: Sand Valley and Mammoth Dunes, Whistling Straits, Aaron Hills. Those are all. You know, those will be walks. Uh, so I think Aaron Hills is like our fifth fifth round of the day and we're walking oh and we tee off at like 6 30 p.m or 7 p.m something like that it's the hardest walk in the, in the country yeah so that'll be cool uh so, nice call so, yeah so follow along uh to see if anybody dies during that this is dj's last public appearance yeah. so hope, you guys, hope you guys really enjoyed getting yeah. dj in your life can we follow along are you going to be posting on social and stuff or no yeah i'll, I'll post uh i'll post stuff just I, I on mean, threads yeah, who knows what uh, if Twitter's still alive uh, this weekend? Maybe there, maybe Instagram. I don't know. Maybe I'll just sprinkle stuff around, and uh, you know, you can kind of do a little Easter egg hunt. Okay, okay, that's that sounds awesome, uh, DJ. I appreciate the time. Congrats on another um, awesome strapped series. Very, very excited for him to drop. I, I I meant to tell you this. We were talking about strapped earlier. I texted you this: the decision on sixteen for people mm -hmm. that haven't watched it. Neil goes driver on sixteen. I played. Every Friday at Dobson Ranch for 15 years, if not longer. The first 10 years I had iron on 16. The last five I hit driver. It's a driver hole. So I like the decision from Neil, even though it may or may not have played in his favor. I think he's gonna he's gonna appreciate hearing that. I know he's still kicking himself a little bit, uh, but I, I'm with you. I think I think that was the right call. He was driving it great all day. Just just got a little little leaky there. What was your thoughts on Dobson? I loved it. It yep. was so fun. It was so fun. It's, you know, the perfect, they said it in the episode, but like it's kind of the exact golf course we're, we're looking to seek out when we, when we're looking for these places. I mean, like affordable, fun, interesting pace was great. Tons of people out there. Tons of can kids make out birdies, there. Par five, like, can make you know, a it's lot like, of birdies. But yeah. You can, you can fall asleep in the green. Totally. Totally. Uh, what was that one on the back nine? Maybe 10, 11, 12, 13, maybe the par five with the houses on the left. Yeah. 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 
what an unbelievably hard green that was. That when the pin so the pin was like know, front left. Yeah. So hard. So if you go long, you're dead. If you go right, you're yeah. dead. Um the Friday game, which was the money game out there for you know, the better part of 20, 30 years that has actually now gone away, which is a bit of a bummer. I'm writing something for the Friday about that and actually talked to, to Ches Reeve about it um, <laughs> because we were reminiscing about the great times at the Friday game. But uh, it got to the point with the Dobson Friday game where you basically had to hole out to win a skin. In my yeah. early days, if you made a bird, made an eagle or even a birdie on one of the tough holes, you might win a skin. When they put the pin back left on 13, there was skin possibility there yeah. with an eagle. That's how hard that green is, even though it's you know like a 510 yard par five. So right. yes, one of one of the harder greens, and uh, it's a I, I miss Dobson a lot, and uh, I talked to my uncle about it a lot too. So it was very fun to see it on Strapped. Uh, thank you guys for including it. Of course, of course. Hope to uh, get back there again soon. Well, that is DJ Pihowski. Big thanks to DJ. Make sure you checked out Strapped. Make sure you follow him on his uh, ten courses in two day journey. On social, what's your handle on social media? Uh, DJ Pie on Twitter and <laughs> D Piehowski on Instagram. Yeah, good luck on spelling that. DJ, appreciate yeah, exactly. the time. Cheers, man. A big thanks to DJ for his time. Make sure you follow DJ on social media as he embarks on 10 courses in two days. What do we do this to ourselves? We do these things all the time. I've done it. You've done it. He's doing it. Uh, they are great stories on the back end, but very exhausting when you're doing them. But I can only imagine it's going to be something that will be picture worthy. So uh, give DJ a follow. Make sure you're watching Strapped. Make sure you're following all the No Laying Up coverage. Make sure you're subscribed to the Fried Egg newsletter. I wrote a piece on the Friday newsletter. I had a piece earlier in the week in terms of our picks and uh, just continuing to churn out awesome content right there. So Fried Egg's newsletter, uh, Strapped, the No Laying Up uh, you know, must watch uh, series that has been, I think it's now in its 10th uh, series, which is wild. And make sure you check out our ground under repair merchandise at imperialsports.com. U.S. Women's Open t shirts available there. We'll chat with you guys next week.